You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Amen. Thank you. And I'm just, you know, public speaking gives me such knots in my stomach that when I go out and interact with people, uh, in the past, I, people would be like, oh, good, good luck on speaking. And I'd be like, oh, thanks, you too. Wait, huh. And I just really thank Pastor Peter for this opportunity to um, mentor me and to help me prepare a message. About two months ago, he came up to me in the foyer of Act, uh, Act for Christ Youth Group, and he said, hey, do you want to preach for Sunday? It can be about anything. I'm like, ooh, anything. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to do something super obscure. And then... Um, then he said, oh, yeah, but it's got to be about graduation, since it's graduation Sunday. And I said, what, what could be edgy, but also graduation Sunday? And at that time, I was reading through the Old Testament, and I found this book called Ecclesiastes. And I was also watching a video on YouTube. There's this really good series called The Bible Project, and they do a bunch of videos on different books of the Bible, and one of them they did was on Ecclesiastes, and they're talking about how this book turned your view of the world upside down. And so I chose to preach on how Ecclesiastes uh, is this, was the savior to my life in a way, and how um, Ecclesiastes really did turn my life upside down. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, you are good. And Lord, thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence among us, Lord. Uh, thank you for speaking through your book, Ecclesiastes. And Lord, I pray, that, I pray that you remind us of your love and that you be with us, Lord, for the rest of our lives. Open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I broke up this, series, this book into three parts. Three because... One the, one, the Trinity, amen, amen, and two, because uh, I heard that somewhere people remember things in threes, and so first I'm going to do the context of the book, and then I'm going to talk about the main body, the experiment of the book, what most people think about um, when they think about Ecclesiastes, and finally I'm going to talk about the conclusions, what did King Solomon grasp from it, and what should we grasp from um, exploring life in this way. And so let's begin with the context. And this is the first 11 verses of the Bible. Or of the, of the book of Ecclesiastes, excuse me. <laughs> and the first line is, whenever there's a verse on the board, I like interactiveness. So let's all read Ecclesiastes 1.1. The words of the teacher, king in Jerusalem. And so... I, let, I put some colors there to highlight the really important parts of the, sermon, of the verse. And even in just this first line, we find out that it's not the author who's talking in the book. It's the teacher. And the teacher is the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Huh, who could that be? <laughs> and so, oh, and so the te- we got two roles here. We got the teacher. And uh, in Hebrew... Uh, they called him the Koheleth. I think that's how you pronounce it. It means 
uh, someone who speaks to an assembly, someone who's addressing the crowd, is the one who wants to tell all of the readers what he has found in life. And then there's the author, the one who actually wrote the, wrote the words down. And he's the one who wants you to hear what the teacher is saying. And so traditionally, the teacher is assigned to Solomon because Solomon is the son of David. But he's kept anonymous in this book to kind of create like this abstract, really like metaphorical atmosphere. And in the initial poem, verse 2 to 11, he says, let's all read it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And thus, like English class, whenever you have a story, you got to set up a conflict. And so in this case, the conflict is that the teacher has found life to be meaningless. And thus, I put it in red because meaningless, this word, is actually in Hebrew translated as havel. And, in, and havel doesn't necessarily mean meaningless like we mean in English. Havel is a word for smoke or vapor. And smoke, it can take shape. We can see it. It can take forms. Some smokers can blow rings out of smoke. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but hevel, smoke is also transparent. And when you try to grab it, it, it dissipates and disappears. And so Solomon's saying that life and everything, it's like smoke. We know that it's there and we see it in our daily life, but when we try to grasp at it, when we try to find meaning in it, it just slips through our arms. And so if there's one thing you can take from this sermon, that cliche, it's that life is Havel. <laughs> and finally, that verse 5 says, let's read it, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. Now, throughout the book of Solomon, in, interlaced with all of Solomon's, um, all Solomon's ideas throughout life, he also uses a lot of dense Hebrew poetry that I will not be studying word for word, that he uses different images such as the sun um, and, and things he finds in nature to describe how he thinks about life. In this case, it's kind of like that there is a Google weather on my phone. If you see, like, the sun goes up and it goes down in, like, a, like a sine wave, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like the sun keeps going up and down and that Solomon is using this kind of imagery, in this case, to say that life repeats over and over and that, um, that in the end, there might not be meaning in life because, you know, the sun just comes up and comes back down. Everything stays the same, despite what we do. And thus, we enter the experiment. I know some of, some of you guys really love science and chemistry, and thus, I, I thought of this as like a controlled experiment where, where he's taking variables, individual variables, and he's like testing them while keeping all the other variables constant in order to decide which one is uh, the cause for his misery or which one can make him happy in life, in this case, him and Solomon. And so I'm going to go through three of the variables. He goes through quite a few, and a lot of them overlap. But these are the three main ones I found useful. The first one being oh, wisdom. And we all know wisdom to be attributed to Solomon. So let's read verse 13 of chapter 1. Applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom as done under the heavens. 
What a heavy burden God has placed and laid on mankind. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Amen. Amen. To discover all of the things that are in the world. And uh, the, third, the third wisdom book of the Bible is Job. And in Job 38, 16 to 18, Job is crying out to God. Job is saying, God, explain yourself. Why have you caused such um, misery on my life? And Job knows he doesn't deserve it, and God knows he doesn't deserve it. Yet, God, the way he explains himself in Job 38, he says, look at the, look at the, uh, look at the rivers, look at, the, look at everything in life that you don't understand. I have to take care of it every day. That I have to make the sun rise. I have to make the sun set. I have to make sure that water is going through plants and that, that the world is working every day for us and that there's so much for us to understand. And he also talks about, uh, he also reemphasizes this in uh, Ecclesiastes 8.17 that he says that, then I saw that all has gotten, then I saw all that God has done no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they really cannot comprehend it. And right there is an image of deep space in, Hubble, in the Hubble telescope. That, that's the darkest part in the night sky. But when they put on enough exposure that all of those specks are galaxies. And this is courtesy of YouTuber Mark Rober that had to explain that all of those are galaxies with stars, with planets that all have their own things. There's so much God has made for us. And next he says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. Oh, let's read it. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And here he discusses that human knowledge is limited, that even though you can gain a lot of wisdom, that there's some things that we can never get right, like, there's ethics, there's legal matters, and there's still a lot of things that physicists don't know. And if you don't know that it exists, you can't really study it. And so in Solomon's time, they didn't have Wi-Fi, they didn't have TV. And so Solomon could have gained a lot of wisdom, but I'm sure he never thought of Wi-Fi or the TV. And so what is lacking cannot be counted. That no matter how hard he tries, he cannot gain all the wisdom in the world. And finally, he concludes, verse 18, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, from knowledge the more grief. Solomon was by far one of the smartest guys of his times, one of the wisest people in his times. Verse 429, or verse 29 of chapter 4, First Kings says, God gave Solomon wisdom and a very great insight, and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sands on the seashore. Sands on the seashore, that's a lot of knowledge. And when Queen Sheba visited in chapter 10, she said she was amazed by what she saw and that the Israelites were blessed to have such a wise ruler for them. And yet, Solomon, I'm sure he's felt very happy to be very wise and very, uh, very praised by Queen Sheba. Yet, here we can see his internal thoughts that that joy was temporary to him. The wisdom that, that he gained was a temporary joy that he felt. And thus, in this verse, he uses both wisdom and knowledge. I'd like to clarify that. According to gotquestions.org, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. So wisdom is like the discernment of 
the knowledge, which is the objective information. Yet, to Solomon, to Solomon, both of them were not, were not sufficient to keep uh, him happy and to give him joy. And so our application is that wisdom is limited and unsatisfied. And uh, like all the good professors in college, you put a Greek quote, quote from a Greek philosopher up there, the more you know, the more you don't know, says the amazing Aristotle, that, you know, that I, uh, I took a lot of AP tests, and in the beginning, freshman year, I was like, they give you these student packs, and then on the student pack, on the front cover, they put a box, they put boxes, and they have all the tests that you can take for AP. In freshman year, I was really excited. I'm like, I'm going to take all the AP tests. I'm going to learn everything. And then my senior year, I'm like, oh, I should have self-studied two AP tests this year. No motivation. Oh, my goodness. And it, it just really opened to me that, that that is knowledge, but then wisdom, even to learn it, even me, I wanted to learn the AP things. I want to learn, I want to be able to talk to people about environmental science or economics, but even, even I was never satisfied with what the APs I had taken, like European history. I, I was never satisfied, you know, I want to learn more. And if I focused even all my studies all year on European history, I would still not learn everything there is to know about European history. I'd eventually probably get bored. And so wisdom is limited and unsatisfying. And next, Solomon's probably looking at his friends around him who weren't studying and were partying. And he was like, why don't I try that out? And so verse 3, he says, I tried cheering myself wine and embracing folly. My mind's guiding me with wisdom. By show of hands, how many know the definition of folly? <laughs> this is looking good. <laughs> Does anyone want to give an answer, give a definition for folly off the top of your head? Anyone know what folly is? Foolish. Good word. Google, actually, that is very good. Google said lack of good sense and foolishness. Very good, Antikyo. And so folly is where Solomon first decided that he would try to cheer himself with things that were easy to do, that foolishness, that didn't take much effort to pleasure himself, like wine. And, but he also says, my mind's still guiding me with wisdom, that what he undertook in the past is still, um, is still part of his life, that he's not completely into the pleasure boat yet, that he's like dipping his toe, he's exploring, but his mind's still guiding him with wisdom. And thus... Um, this the pop song life you know how in pop songs they're like put your hands in the air wave them like you just don't care (laughs) it's like that that's how he experimented it (laughs) and verse 10 let's read it together i denied myself nothing my eyes desired i refused my heart no pleasure my heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for all my toil and thus after, after toilless pleasure and just simple drinking wine wasn't enough, he, desired, he decided to des- deny himself nothing, that he would give himself everything that he wanted, all his pleasures, all his, he built palaces, he built, uh, he built gardens, 
he got male and female slaves to do uh, things that aren't PG that I won't say right now. But he did all the pleasures that he wanted. His heart took after everything. And he thought of it as the reward for all his toil, that after all his hard work, that he can enjoy himself in the palaces that he has created to become happy. And I call this the paradox of vacation because when you go on vacation, you work hard to, to plan, to work out to it. You got to book the hotel. You got to uh, book the flight. And you got to make sure that you can take off work so you can go and uh, be free from all your worries on vacation. But when you go on vacation, you're still worrying about what you have to do back home. And often, all the booking that you just did, it never works out the way it does. <laughs> and thus, you end up creating more worries for yourself than if you hadn't gone on vacation. And so, even though Solomon, he probably could go to the best vacation ever. He could, just, he could not just fly on economy. He can fly on first class and not deny himself any pleasure and go all out. And yet, still, that he was not satisfied in this world because the verse that I did not put up there at the end, he says, once again, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And chasing after wind, like, oh, I constantly want to feel that. I want to feel that good breeze in the, my face. I want to keep going after it. And yet, it, the breeze just keeps going, and uh, you're left with nothing. And while uh, in between, before I go into the third variable, we covered wisdom and pleasure. I want to bring about three truths about life. And the Bible Project video really emphasized these, that these are the things Simon's discover, Solomon discovered as he was doing his experiment. And the first is that I was supposed to have them pop up one at a time, but I guess that's not working. Life is random. <laughs> the earth, number one, is that the earth moves on. And in Solomon or in Ecclesiastes 1.3, he says, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And he goes on to number four. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. That, that just like in the, when we talked about in context, that the earth is going to move on with or without us. That no matter what we do, no matter the wisdom we strive for and the and the pleasures we go after, that after we die, the earth will forget about us as a person. And uh, it's really uh, morbid, but that is what happens. And number two, uh, death is the great equalizer. Um, how many of you have heard of the holiday Dia de los Muertos? Raise your hand. Very good, very good. So Dia de los Muertos is a holiday in Mexico where they celebrate how the dead come back and rejoin the living. And it's, a, it's not like Halloween where it's like, ooh, fear. It's like, yay, hey, my, my dead relative's here. Let's party. And thus, they come back to life, and it's a joyous celebration of how, even though in Mexican society, there's a lot of rich people who unfortunately take advantage of poor people, that in the end, everyone's going to die, and everyone reaches that, fi that final stage on this earth. And in Ecclesiastes 3.19, he says, Surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals, that the same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. And Solomon's pretty morbid here, but he is saying, he is true in that we all do die, just like the animals. And number three, 
this, is, this one's my favorite, is that life is random. And that in Proverbs, the first of the three wisdom books in the Bible, life isn't random. Life, is, life has justice. Life has order that if you're wise and you fear the Lord, that you will do well in life and that uh, God will bless you. But Ecclesiastes doesn't necessarily say that's false, but he wants to all offer an alternative perspective. That in, verse, uh, that in verse 11, chapter 19, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. That it doesn't matter if you're, if you, you're the smartest person and you're the strongest person, things may happen. You may, you may all of a sudden uh, get a concussion, forget everything you learned. You may uh, break your leg before the race and fail the race, even though you're the strongest person or the fastest person in the world. That life is unfortunately random. And thus, we go on to uh, our third variable, keeping those things in mind that life is random, the earth moves on, and that death will come to all of us. That verse 18 says, let's read it together. I hated all the things I have toiled for for the sun. Yes, I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And this verse really reminded me of, I was watching a video from Yes Theory, and there was uh, one episode where they went to these ghost towns in California where there used to be a lot of people because everyone, everyone wanted gold, and so they went west, and then they settled down in the towns, got really rich really fast, and they toiled really hard, toiled really hard, and they got, they got rich enough to support their families, and they brought their families over to form these giant towns. But then the gold ran out one day, and then you, you're left with these houses that are broken down, and uh, one of them's called Bodie, California. And they went to this town, and they just found it all dilapidated. And, and it serves as a reminder that no matter what we do, no matter what we strive for sometimes, that, that it's not permanent, that it's going to go to the person after us and our descendants, and we don't know what they're going to do with our, um, with our hard work. Because like in the Bible, Samuel was a great, uh, Samuel was a great prophet, a great judge, and yet his sons chose to disobey him and not follow in the ways of the Lord, and God judged them really harshly, and thus toil may be meaningless. And verse 26, let's read it together. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering it. God. When you staple papers in the wrong order. <laughs> and so here's the first mention of where, uh, where Solomon admits that Proverbs does have truth. He did say life was random, but he knows that to the one who pleases God, God will give wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And it may not always happen in the way we want it to, where we want wisdom at a certain time, but that God knows what he's doing. Amen. Amen. And this also reminded me of the parable of the rich fool, that 
that there was the rich man who he worked hard and he got a lot of wealth and there's nothing wrong with that and he gained a lot of wealth and then then one day he decides, you know, I'm going to retire early. I'm just going to take my retirement. I'm going to live for that and live in happy happiness and folly. And thus, the next day, he, I think he gets a, I'm sure he got a stroke or something happened and he died right there. And Jesus is condemning this guy that, that look, you, you thought you could save up in life, but no, death took you down. And, th- and so thus that to the one who pleases him, that God will give happiness, but to the sinner, he, will take, he is able to take that away and give it to those who please God. And thus, application of toil is that you want to invest in God's work that doesn't corrupt, that before the past sins, that they were also things that were limited, yet this God's work is something that does not corrupt. And up there, I have an image of animal, the book Animal Farm, I read in eighth grade, and I, I just thought about how Boxer, Boxer's the horse, and Boxer was like the hard-working proletariat in Animal Farm, that he was putting in all his effort into doing all the projects for the pig on the right, who is Napoleon, and Napoleon was the, was the communist dictator, and that Napoleon was saying to Boxer, oh, you're doing all this great work, and that we're going to build a nation, when in reality, Napoleon was taking advantage of Boxer's hard work and all his toil is gone to nothing and just building Napoleon's great empire and his power, whereas Boxer is unfortunately going to a glue factory. And finally, after those three, Solomon goes through a few other endeavors. He goes through advancement. Um, I'll just read it, that there was no end to all the people who come before them, that but those who came later were not pleased with their successor. Once again, going back to toil, that, that new generations, old generations, always seem to hit on what new generations come out with. Like, I remember my brother, he was like, Mom, if I do my Chinese homework, could I get a fidget spinner from Target? I'm like, what's the point of a fidget spinner? And I just didn't get it. And my brother clearly found value in that. And so we sometimes don't understand what our successors are doing. And finally, also riches having to do with pleasure, that whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. It doesn't say whoever has money will never be satisfied, but whoever loves money and yearns after and keeps striving after more and more. It also says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. I feel like whenever I'm up here, I share about missions. I like to bash the Thousand Oaks bubble that we live in. I like to say, oh man, we're so rich here, but we need to go out and experience the poor years. We should all be poor because these people are satisfied with their life in God. But God isn't saying that. God is saying he gave you this, he gave us where we live and what we have, and that if we're able to enjoy that and be happy in our hard work, whether we're rich or poor, that that is a gift from God. That life is random sometimes. You don't know where you're going to be born. Not that you would think about that now. (laughs) And thus we arrive at the third part, the conclusion, starting in um, uh, chapter 9 and going on until chapter 12, the end. And so thus, uh, I have three 
things that I believe that King Solomon would tell us in the modern time uh, from his experiments after he did his uh, little endeavors into what, uh, how we should live. And the first is, still study for the SAT. Can I get an amen from the sophomores and juniors over here? Amen? Amen, yeah. The, so- the SAT is wisdom. And despite life's wi- randomness, wisdom is still the right thing to do. That in verse 11, let's read it. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. I love Solomon's sun, sun imagery. It's so cool. That wisdom is a good thing. That even though Solomon knows that wisdom won't get you um, a perfect life, that, uh, that he knows it's still the right thing to do. That you should still study for the SAT, even if you don't know whether you do well or bad, because it's the right thing to do. Although the SAT is more knowledge, how you use it and how you use the information is wisdom. And enjoy the simple things in life, colon and parentheses. <laughs> Solomon brings up three things that you should enjoy. Enjoy work. You should sow your seed in the morning and let your hands not be idle because you don't know whether it will succeed, whether this or that, whether both will do equally well. That Solomon, like wisdom, the work you put in, you don't know if you're going to reap well or not reap well. But either way, Solomon says you should take all the shots you can because you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Sports cliche. And that you should always do work because idle hands are the devil's playthings. <laughs> and enjoy possessions. And in chapter 9, verse 7, he says, go, go eat your food with gladness. And drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Simon, Solomon is encouraging us to enjoy what we have and be alcoholics. No, just kidding. He's <laughs> encouraging us to enjoy what we have. And finally, enjoy youth. Verse, <laughs> chapter 11, verse 9, nice woo. You who are young, be happy while you're young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. He says young and young and youth over and over and happy and joy in the same verse that I miss being young because the years were really long and that summer vacation was really nice. And uh, I'd go back to that joy where I don't have to pay at fast food restaurants for my food because I'm my mom. (laughs) I miss those days. Enjoy your youth. (laughs) And finally, before I go into the author's thoughts, I, I do say that um, well, yeah, let's go on to the author's thoughts. I will say that later. The words of the wise are like goads, and that's a goad down there. A goad is what you use to poke sheep into the right direction. And so shepherds use them not to stab their sheep or kill their sheep, but to guide their sheep in the right direction like the words of the wise. That They're not there to convict you or to kill you, but to guide you into living a wise life. And they're given by one shepherd, and a collective sayings of them form even better guidance in that. Although uh, this is one uh, person's take on it, and that God uh, has provided a lot of wise people in this world to 
to say a lot of wise things in our life. And so that's like a disclaimer. And then finally, this is what the author thinks. Fear, let's all read this one together. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring to every deed into judgment, including whether whether it is good or evil. I'd say that, like, throughout all my life, one of my biggest struggles is that I'm a people pleaser, and I wanted to, I want, I rely on people's reactions to how I should behave. I reciprocate that. When people are excited, I get excited. When people are really bored, I get really bored. I try to act cool, like, oh, yeah, I'm not excited. <laughs> and thus, like, even now when I preach, like, I'm looking for you guys who are smiling. Thank you for being encouraging. Yeah, woo! <laughs> that... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. And that but I've learned in life that that you know what? Sometimes things aren't gonna go your way. Life is random and that the earth's gonna move on. That you know what? That even if you're the right person, even that if you do the right thing, that you may not um you may not feel the justice that you deserve. And but God sees that and He'll bring every deed into judgment, everything that you don't see. I remember there's this saying on Reddit that I really liked. It was, uh, you can be the juiciest, ripest, yummiest peach in the world, but there will always be someone in the world who doesn't like peaches. (laughs) And, And thus, the number one thing to do is to fear God and keep his commandments. And the author knows that this is the right thing to do, despite life's Havel nature, that We fear God and keep his commandments. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, you are a very mysterious God, Lord, and you create this large, mysterious universe in our world for us to enjoy. Lord, thank you for, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for uh, giving us wisdom and giving us minds to think and to to think about life that you've created for us, Lord. Uh, allow us to do the right thing, Lord. To see even when uh, things don't go our way, even when we strive after um, wisdom or pleasure or toil, that these things may be good, but Lord, let's not depend on them for our eternal joy, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Sam. We're going to turn our attention now to a time of communion with the Lord through the uh, bread and also the wine, the cup, that reminds us of our covenant God and his faithfulness to 